Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. All right, want to start with a question today. And the question is simply this. What's the secret to staying in love, happy together forever? Wouldn't we all like to know? I think there is a secret, and the reason I ask this question is because I think there's a secret. The reason I think there's a secret is because you're probably like me. You know some of these couples have been married for uh, 50 years, 60 years, and when you're around them, it's like, oh my gosh, if we could just have a relationship like that, because they just love each other so much. It's like they love each other more and more and more every single day, and I always get tickled because when you ladies around, when they walk away, there's always a lady who says, aren't they just the cutest couple? I've never heard a guy say that. But anyway, we get what you're saying, okay? Because it's like, oh, yeah, we just wish, hashtag relationship goals. We just wish we could have that kind of relationship. What is it that they know that the rest of us don't know? Because as you know, relationships like that are few and far between. You don't see them all the time like that. So what is their secret? Well, today, I want to tell you what I think their secret is. But I don't want you to take my word for it. After we've talked about this, I want you to find one of those couples you know, and I want you to ask them if what I tell you is true, if what I tell you is actually help them. Because after all, they have anniversary cards older than I am. So you should probably listen to them above me, okay? But we'll get into that in just a minute. If you're just joining us, we are in week two of a series we've been in called Happy Together Forever. And in this series, we're talking about three counterintuitive principles that'll help you build the kind of relationship where you're happy together forever, where you learn how to stay in love. If you're married, these are principles you can apply to your marriage. If you're not married, but you hope to one day be married, the good news is you can take these skills and start developing now, uh, developing them now because that's what they are, they're skills. And so it'll help you be prepared to have this kind of marriage one day. And if you don't want anything to do with marriage, you can actually take these uh, skills, these principles, and apply them to any relationship that you want to be good. So Last week, we talked about the first counterintuitive principle, which was make marriage a submission competition. In other words, and I'll talk about this anytime I talk about relationships because it is so foundational. You can't have a relationship where you stay in love happy together forever unless you have two people who understand, who understand mutual submission, who understand how to come to the relationship and both go, no, I'm going to put you before me. I'm going to put you before me. So we talked about what it looks like to make marriage a submission competition, which by the way, maybe I shouldn't share this because it'll tempt you to do it and I don't know what you'll find. But after uh, the service last Sunday, I had somebody grab me and they said, hey, just so you know, now I Googled submission competition. It is not referred to what you were talking about. So that's just a helpful tip. I wouldn't probably Google that if I were you. I didn't ask what they found. But anyway, you know what I'm getting at with that, okay? So, so you may, I'll choose my words more carefully next time. But you make marriage a submission competition. All right, today we're going to talk about the second counterintuitive principle. And it revolves around the idea of redefining love. Redefining love. Now, here's why I bring this up. Most people in our culture today especially, and quite honestly, most of us, we talk about love and we think about love like it is a noun. And by that, I just mean we think of it like it's some inanimate object. We either have it or we don't. We tip, uh, tip our hand on this because we say things like, well, I 
just fell in love, you know, as if it's something that just happened to us. We don't know where it came from. We just fell in love. And then we will say things like, well, I fell out of love, or I just don't love them anymore, as if, you know, we had no control over that whatsoever. I mean, love just comes and love goes. It's a feeling, and, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Here is the problem with thinking of love that way. This is why I wanted to talk about this today. Because if you think love is just something that happens to you, you will feel zero responsibility when it feels like it's leaving you. Let me say that again. If you think love is something that just happens to you, that you have no control over, then you will feel zero responsibility when it leaves you, which is why so many couples, when they no longer feel loving towards each other, when they feel like they quote unquote fell out of love, they just split. They just walk away because they feel like, well, there's nothing I can do. He's a different person. She's a different person. I'm a different person. I I just, I can't do anything about it. We just don't love each other anymore. But that is not how Jesus talked about love. You read the accounts of Jesus' life and you know what you discover? He he treated love as if it was a choice that we all got to make. As a matter of fact, he looked at those of us who follow him and said, here's your command, is I've loved you, you should love one another. You can't command somebody to do something they have no control over, right? So obviously Jesus thought, Love was something different than a noun, something different than, oh, it just happened to me. Obviously, he thought we had control over it. It was a choice. And then if you read some of the documents written by the early followers of Jesus in the first century, take Paul, for example. Paul was this first century follower who wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And whenever he talked about love in his documents, he would elevate the idea of love up to the perspective that Jesus had. As a matter of fact, there is a passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that whether you're a church person or not, doesn't matter. We've all heard it because we've all been to a wedding, okay? And it's, it feels like you've got to read this at a wedding. I've heard it so many times. But the thing Paul is doing, it's, he wasn't writing some type, type of poetry that would make your wedding sound good. He was actually elevating love to the idea that it is a practical choice that we all get to make. That's what he was trying to help us understand. So what I want to do today is I want to read you what he wrote. This will not be new information for you, okay? You've heard this. But I want to read you what he wrote and explain what it means real quick. But after I read it, then we're going to talk about what does this mean for us personally? And what does this mean for us practically in the relationships that we have or the relationships that we want to have? So here's what Paul wrote. He said, first of all, love is patient. Love is patient. In other words, love's not pushy. If you're in a relationship where you're demonstrating the kind of love that Jesus defined and demonstrated for us, then you're going to pause and move at the pace of the other person because that's what love does. You're going to pause and move at their speed, not yours, which means if they need more time to process, you know, they got to take time to process through everything and all the changes or whatever you're facing, then you slow down. You give them the margin. You give them the space. You give them time to process. If they're not a fast decision maker and you're a fast decision maker, you slow down. You give them the room to navigate through things and decide on their timetable and not on your timetable. This is what it looks like. Now, I don't have to point this out. You understand this. This is a developed virtue, isn't it? Patience is not something, oh, they were born with it and I wasn't born with it. Too bad. No, no, no. I mean, this is really practical. Paul's going, love is patient and patience is something you can choose and patience is something you can develop. And he goes on with his list. He says, love is also kind. It's kind. You know what kindness is. We've all experienced it. Kindness is when you're struggling, when 
you're finding things challenging and somebody comes in and they loan you their strength in the middle of your weakness. That's what kindness looks like. And I bet you could tell stories, you've experienced this, where in a moment where it felt like rock bottom, where it was so difficult, where it was so tough, and somebody came along and said, how can I help? Hey, what can I do? Hey, let me do this for you. Hey, I can handle that. You don't have to handle that. I'm going to take that load off of you. You know how game-changing that can be. You know the power of kindness. Paul says, all right, well, if you're in a relationship that you want to be happy together forever, it's got to be marked by that kind of kindness. Where when the other person is struggling with a weakness, you don't berate them over it. You don't beat them for their weakness. You don't make it worse on them. You come in, you loan them your strength. You don't say, well, what's wrong with you? Why can't, no, no. You just loan them your strength and you help them in their weakness. And then Paul writes and he says, love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. This is Paul's way of saying, okay, when you're in a relationship marked by this kind of love, nobody in the relationship is fighting for the spotlight. As a matter of fact, the only fight over the spotlight is they both want to get it and shine it on the other person. That's what these kinds of relationships look like. That I'm not trying to one-up you, and if you're on you know, center stage, I'm not trying to get on center stage and move you to the side. I'm not trying to get you to share the spotlight. No, I'm just going to celebrate you. I am not bothered by your success. I'm going to celebrate it. When things go well for you, I'm going to stand over on the side. I'm going to stand behind the curtain, and I'm just going to cheer as loud as I can cheer for you. That's what love does. And then Paul writes, love does not dishonor others. In other words, love doesn't act disrespectfully or disgracefully towards the other person. Love doesn't tell that story when you know it's going to embarrass them. Love doesn't make that comment when you know it's going to shame them. Love doesn't blow them off when they say, I don't think you need another drink. Love doesn't do anything that dishonors the other person. Because you know what happens in dishonoring situations. Regret stories are created. They're always created. And you do not want to be a part of somebody else's regret story. In other words, you don't want to be a part of a relationship that one day that other person is going, I wish I had never because I regret so much. You, you don't want to be written into that kind of story. But we've all seen it and we've all, whether it's a romantic relationship or a business relationship or a friendship, we've all had these moments, haven't we, where we've gone down the road. Oh my gosh, I wish I had never. Wish I'd never gotten in a partnership with them. Wish I'd never developed that friendship. I wish I'd never been in that first marriage. Why? Because it was dishonoring that happened. So Paul says, no, no, you want to be happy together forever. You avoid any behavior that's dishonoring. And then he says, love is not self-seeking, which he could have just written this and been done. Because this sums it all up, doesn't it? He's going, love's just not selfish. Love's not selfish. In the best relationships, in the best marriages, both people just put the interest of the other before their own. I wish he'd have stopped here because his next one is, love is not easily angered. Well, good grief. The, I highlight easily because for those of us who can get angry from time to time, this at least gives us a little bit of a wiggle room, right? It's like, don't, don't be easily angered. And anger's okay. I mean, everybody, there's certain situations where you ought to get angry, right? There's certain things that should make you angry. But Paul's point is, love's not easily angered. So when love looks this way, then people don't react to the situation. They're very intentional about responding. 
When you lose your temper, you're reacting. Paul says, no, no, that's not what love looks like. You don't react. You care and honor and value the other person so much that you're intentional about responding. I've talked to people before who have said to me, I just can't control my temper. And I say to them, you're a liar. And they're like, no, no, really. And I'm like, who do you admire the most? Let me put you with them. I bet you'll never lose your temper around them, you know? Because we can, given our circumstances, if we value the other person enough, we intentionally change our behavior. Paul says, when a marriage relationship where you're going to be happy together forever, guess what? There should be nobody who you value more than your spouse, which means you should be that intentional with them all the time. And then he writes, love keeps no record of wrongs. Some of you have this gift, so this is a little hard for you. I understand. This is the idea of somebody messes up and you go, I'm not surprised because October 4th, 2012, you did the same thing. Kind of like, how do you remember? Oh, it wasn't the only time, you know, February 13th, 2016. You also did it, you know, again, that doesn't solve anything, does it? That doesn't resolve anything. So Paul's point is, no, no, no. You got to be fast to forgive. You want to have this kind of relationship? You have to be fast to forgive. You cannot keep a record of wrongs. Now, for those of you who are wired to remember all this, and this is, uh, this is a little challenging for you, let me just remind you, you can be completely right. You can be completely right. You can always be right. And you can also be alone because that's what happens. When people are always right, I'm always right. I'm never wrong. I'm always right. I'm never wrong. They end up alone. And none of us grew up going, one day I hope to be the, this is bad grammar, but the rightest, loneliest person on the planet. That is not the goal for any of us, is it? So you have to learn to value the relationship more than being right if you're going to love this way. And then Paul writes, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now what Paul's getting at here is love does not smuggle bad things into the relationship. Love does not smuggle secrets into the relationship. If you're smuggling secrets into your relationship, you've got major issues. And it's only a matter of time before everything blows up. Love doesn't smuggle debt into the relationship. Love doesn't go, ooh, I'm going to spin, 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 swipe, swipe, swipe. I'm not telling them. We'll figure that out later. I just don't want them to know. Love doesn't smuggle pornography into the relationship. Love doesn't smuggle unfaithfulness into the relationship. Love doesn't smuggle bad habits into the relationship. You know why? Because when you smuggle secrets into a relationship, it undermines the relationship every time, every time. Secrets always undermine relationships. So Paul's point is, no, no, no. You, you got to have a relationship that's built on truth. It's built on transparency. It's built on honesty. You can't be having secrets. You can't celebrate the fact that there are things you know that he hadn't been smart enough to figure out or she hadn't been smart enough to figure out. And then Paul writes these words that are so familiar to all of us. He says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, here's the thing about this entire list. And you may have never thought of it this way. It's a bit disturbing when you recognize this. But everything on this list is something you get to choose and I get to choose, whether we want that to be true of us or not. We get to choose whether we're patient. We get to choose whether we're easily angered. We get to choose whether we're selfish or selfless. We get to choose all of these things. This was Paul's point. Love is not 
a noun. Love's not something that just comes and goes. I don't have any responsibility over it because, you know, just whatever happens to me, I can't control that. No, no, no. Paul's trying to help us understand this second counterintuitive principle to stay in love, happy together forever, relationships. And I'll say it this way. You just make love a verb. You treat love like it's an action, like it's something in your control, like it's something you do. It is your choice. Now, if you were to go talk to those couples that have been married 50 years, have been married 60 years, and you ask them, hey, do you guys think of love this way or do you think of love like it's something that just it's either there or it's not? You don't have any control over it. I would bet you they're all going to tell you. At some point along the way, they discovered love was something they got to choose. That they had control over the way they treated the other person. That they had control over the kind of person they were being in the relationship. And it changed everything. And it's why they're happy together forever today. Because when two people come together and they both see love as a verb, as something they have control over, as something they can do, then there's no more pointing the fingers. There's no more saying, I don't know what happened. No, they, they take ownership and they have accountability and responsibility for the situation. So real quickly, if you're not married, but you hope to get married one day, guess what? Paul just gave you your cheat sheet. Those are the qualities you can look for in somebody. And I'm telling you, if they are not growing in those areas, you better think twice because nobody stays in love for the long term. Unless each person has those qualities true about them. Both people have to be willing to look in the mirror and go, this is up to me. This is my choice. I get to decide who I'm going to be and who I'm going to bring to the relationship. So what does this mean for us personally? Well, what I think it means is this. If you want an easy out and if you don't want to have to do any hard work, you keep telling yourself and everybody else around you, you have no control over the state of your marriage. Just tell people, ah, it's them. It's them. I don't understand. You know, it's just not going to work out. You just act like you have zero responsibility and accountability. But if you want the kind of relationship where you stay in love, happy together forever, you have to look at that list. You have to figure out where you need to grow. And then you have to start working and cooperating with God and let him help you develop those qualities. I had an idea that I thought was a really bad idea, so I didn't do it. But, and you'll, you'll thank me, because I thought at one point, you know what I'm going to do at the end here? I'm going to have everybody stand up, and I'm going to read that list again, and I'm going to tell you, whenever I read one you're not good at, sit down. I thought that'd be fun. <laughs> and my first thought was, okay, by about the third one, we'll all be seated. And then I thought, no, there is some husband who is dumb as a brick, and he will stand through the whole thing. And it'll lead to a divorce and I'll be held responsible. So I didn't do it. You're welcome. But just saved a marriage. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, you know what you do. You're no different than me. I don't want to look in the mirror. I don't want to have to say, ooh, that's on me. Ooh, that's on me. Ooh, I need to change. Ooh, I better work on that. I want to say, it's her fault. It's her fault. It's her fault. And you're the same way. So if you're going to grow in this, you know what it's going to require? It's going to require enough self-honesty and self-awareness 
to stop pointing the finger and to look in the mirror and own your part of the problem. It means you're going to have to say, I'm not very patient, and there is nobody I can blame for that but me. I like to keep a record of all the wrongs and bring them up. There's nobody I can blame for that but me. And I'm going to start working on it. Now, I need to warn you. If you ask God to help you develop these qualities, things are going to get really bad for you for a little while. Here's why. Because you cannot develop patience if you're only in situations that require no patience of you. Do you know how you develop patience? By being in situations that demand tons of patience, more than you want to give. That's how you start to develop patience. In order for God to develop these qualities in you, he has to put you in the exact opposite situation of the character quality you need. He's going to put you in situations that tempt you to be angry all the time. And you're going to have to learn to control your temper. He's going to put you in situations that make you want to list the record of wrongs over and over. And you're going to have to learn to forgive and to let it go. He's going to put you in situations where you do not want to be kind. You want to be very unkind. And maybe they deserve for you to be unkind. But you're going to have to decide, am I going to choose kindness even when I don't want it? So it's going to be hard in the short term. But listen, if you will develop these qualities, in the long run, the reward is extraordinary. Because you develop the kind of character, you develop the skills you need to love somebody in a way you can stay in love, happy together forever. And after all, isn't that what we're all shooting for? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, i got to tell you, I think those of us who do follow him have an advantage over you. And I might be wrong, okay? So I'm not trying to be critical here. But I think we have an advantage because you know what Jesus was like? That list we just read. You want to describe Jesus? That's it. He was patient. He was kind. On and on and on. That's him. That is the kind of love he demonstrated over and over and over again to people. So the good news for those of us who follow him is if we'll just cooperate with him and become more like him, we'll become more like that. We'll start to love that way. We've got a little bit of a you know, cheat code here. Because nobody does it better than Jesus. And he wants to help us do it like him. So, would you pick an area? Don't pick them all. Just pick one. And be honest enough with yourself to say, okay, I need to grow in this area. I need to grow in this area. And then ask God to help you do it. Now, for those of you who are thinking... Okay, Matt, this is fine. The problem is you haven't talked about them yet. Like, I, I know I've got one or two things on the list, but my spouse or my, you know, who I'm dating or whatever, they've got like eight of the ten or ten of the ten. You know, well, what's the secret to helping them change? Because they need to change a lot more than me. I understand where you're coming from. Uh, Jen and I had not been married for very many weeks when I came home one day from work and found her in our living room reading a book called How to Have a New Husband by Friday. <laughs> it's a true story. And I thought to myself, apparently things are not going as well as I thought they were. Um, so I checked the book out because I was real curious. And, and two things you need to know. Number one, Jen has been disappointed every Friday for 15 years. It's been rough on her. <laughs> Hasn't helped. But there actually is something you can do. There is a secret 
to changing your spouse. I know you've been told you should never do that. There, there is a secret to changing your spouse. There's one thing you can do that will make a big difference. And I want to let you know what that is next Sunday. That's called a teaser. Yes, you're, you're welcome. It's called a teaser. This week, I want you to focus on you. I'm going to focus on me. This week, pick one. And maybe you need to wake up every morning. Take two minutes because that's all it'll take. Read 1 Corinthians 13 every morning for two mornings. And then just say, okay, all right. God, this is the one I'm going to try to grow in. Will you help me? Will you help me? Will you help me? And pay attention to the opportunities you have where you're in situations that day and everything in you is wanting to do the exact opposite of what you should and go, nope, this is my choice. And this is practice and I can get better and choose to love the right way. Let me pray for us. Father, would you give us the wisdom because um, we do not like to see it in ourselves. So give us the wisdom and the awareness to be able to see where we need to grow, where we need to change. And then give us the courage to do it. Because it's one thing to sit here today and say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's easy to agree right now. But when somebody's punching our buttons in three hours and we want to fly off the handle, when somebody's making us so impatient tomorrow, when somebody's being so unkind on Tuesday, that's much harder. So give us the awareness and the wisdom, but give us the courage and the strength to just choose the right thing because you modeled so well, Jesus, this is our choice. Love's not something that just happens to us. Love is a verb. It's something we get to choose to do. Help us to do that well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.